Welcome to part two of the Endometriosis podcast with Lorna Driver-Davies. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Another thing which I wanted to touch upon, and you just reminded me because we were talking about fiber. Now, a few days ago, in preparation for this podcast, I was looking at topics to talk about and things to bring up. And one of the things I was looking at was this kind of, well, it was a thread that I came across, and I can't remember the website, but the this group of women were really obsessed with insulin and getting insulin down low, and the link between blood sugar and aromatase, which converts testosterone oh, into estrogen, yeah. right? And one yeah, of the yeah, things, yeah, yeah. which we can touch upon this in greater depth, but one of the things is people were worried about fruit consumption because of the sugar in, within it. So I would just love for you to, to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, okay, like if you've got someone who's got really poor blood sugar, you like real dysglycemia issues, particularly if they are veering over into the sort of PCOS category, then I think in the shorter term, it might make sense to sort of look at those things. Again, it depends on the person because, you know, if someone really says, I feel, you know, like I get a bit wobbled by the whole thing if I have an orange, okay, fine. But I then think also is that, you know, is it because you're eating it on its own? Perhaps you were consuming it with some fats or protein, it would be better. But I do think you have to be careful because if you take too many of those things out, going back to looking at those studies around vitamin A and citrus fruit and things like that, um, and knowing that antioxidants are important, then I would be worried that someone would be losing out on those on those types of foods that are very beneficial. But we used to get a lot more of in our diet anyway. If that makes sense. The problem we have today is that we're just just so lacking in in, in natural access to antioxidants. Mm. Yeah. 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 I agree. And I, also- so I would I, I think those things can be short short term to try to try and you know do something. But uh, you know it's a bit like. Um, women, if they're doing uh, keto-esque, I say, I think need to come off it for a bit and have a bit of a break because it can affect the thyroid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's different between men and women, actually, on, on types of diets that you can do for a shorter or longer you know, periods of time. Yeah, absolutely. And with keto as well, you know, it can affect cortisol levels if you're not careful and, yeah. and things like yeah. that. So yeah. I, I've definitely had periods of time when I, I've been on a ketogenic diet and maybe not managed my, my salt intake too much. And I've definitely had yeah. issues with yeah. cortisol and I've had to come off it. Um, yeah. Nothing serious. It's just like I know when my body's not feeling right. Yeah, yeah. And actually cortisol is a subject. So earlier we were saying that endo, like stress and endo are not a good relationship together because mm. for lots of reasons, but you know, cortisol is very inflammatory. Um, it kicks off inflammatory cytokines cytokines are a big subject in endo lots of research papers on that um uh and 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 so stress also dysregulates that communication between the brain and the ovaries so you're thinking about healthy ovulation because my one of my big aims clinically is always to make sure that progesterone levels are up to protect to, to be there as an opposition to estrogen um and to help like with lots of things including like mental health so if your progesterone is not great you're not, you know, you can be more likely to be sort of feeling a bit more moody or low mood, um, you know, progest- the kind of relationship between progesterone and GABA and feeling more relaxed and less tense and less anxious, that kind of whole sort of connection. In endo, there's research to suggest that there are dysfunctions with progesterone receptor sites. Okay. So you can be, produ- so you can be producing enough, um, but then the, the body's like, um, like a, the watchtower, the person in the watchtower is looking out for progesterone, but just can't see it you know, even if it's there. Well, that's annoying. What can you do about that problem in particular? 
Well, this is where, um, you know, looking at things that like encourage um, progesterone production can help. So one of my favorite herbs is Agnes Castus, which is chaste berry. Mm -hmm. um, and then even, um, again, uh, some women will do well from things like progesterone, um, like bioidentical type creams. Um, there's doctors that I refer to that do these sorts of things. This is why, actually, you got to make it a whole sort of, you know, uh, multi multidisciplinary way of dealing with the 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 condition because i think everything has a helping hand in helping all these things together yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. so with those kind of creams and things though you've been increasing the amount of progesterone there in order to for it to bind to the to the site well that... it, it's 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 difficult to say because the idea is that maybe if you start, give someone a little bit more it's not always that there's 100 percent defective ability to pick up uh, progesterone but it just needs a bit more in order for it to be sort of heard okay it's like yes. it, it's like a quiet voice in the, in the dark versus big shout hello i'm here you know <laughs> uh, and and also for some women if they're not ovulating every month well because of all sorts of factors you're helping with that too and that's important if you are in the fertility endo category because if because for healthy pregnancy you know the the corpus I mean, luteum so the so egg sac that you have after you ovulate that is the main point of progesterone production and so with pregnancy you've got to get to that 12 um week mark where that's that's kind of that that production site is relying on that area so that's where sometimes women are, pres are, are prescribed progesterone normally privately i would say who have endo because it's kind of understood that you're going to have issues with progesterone anyway because you have endo okay that's interesting. So e even from, because this all started with cortisol. So like, it's interesting. Yeah. Just the fact <laughs> <laughs> it, but, but it's interesting just like taking a, an holistic approach. Just it's interesting how everything's linked. So just from having yeah. maybe a stressor in your life, whether it's like a baby and you're not sleeping very well or things yeah. like that, yeah. it can lead yeah. to this multitude of issues and, and going down these biological pathways that can result in some of the some of these symptoms and you mentioned GABA um, that's an interesting one do you what do you do into in terms to influence GABA production um uh, maybe it's well, good to define it as well yeah it yeah 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 so so um this is what we classify as an inhibitory neurotransmitter so uh, what's good for is kind of making us feel like calm and kind of relaxed and just sort of chilled. And there is a biochemical relationship between progesterone production and, uh, and producing kind of GABA. And there's, there's that kind of relationship. If I feel like that's an issue, then there are other things that will support, um, support kind of GABA. So things like adaptogenic herbs. Mm -hmm. So things like ashwagandha um is a lovely one to use and actually like when you're thinking about stress stress people are like feeling frazzled and cortisol -y, but then also you can get other things going on with that you know so that i don't feel very calm i feel quite nervy i'm anxious i'm worried i can't sleep so i use a lot of adaptogens and nutrients like magnesium for example so magnesium is the one where i i just try and practically get women with endo to sort of swim in it because you just need a lot because also it's there to help with menstrual cramps, for example. But any, you know, anything that just kind of soothes and calms the system. You know, herbs like passion flower, for example, yeah, um, are good are good for GABA. So there's ways of sort of dealing with that. Um, you can supplement it. It's not something that um, is available to buy um, in the UK, but you can order it from America. But I think it's probably better to try and do it through uh, through herbs, actually. Okay. 
that's really good to know. And I, and just going back to what you said before as well, imagine if you you increase progesterone progesterone production, then GABA will increase naturally anyway. Potentially, we hope. Yeah. But okay. At least, I mean, in in cases of like PMDD, there's a whole. I won't go into that because it'll we're going off a different podcast. But You're that's have a to whole. Tell me what PMDD is. Sorry. Yeah. So so you've got premenstrual syndrome. Just to sort of start from scratch which is, uh, you know, uh, more everyday uh, issues around sort of mood and physical issues and things around pre, pre, no, pre your period. And then PMDD is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And this is categorized as a very serious kind of mental health condition and can really affect women, I mean, really quite seriously. Um, actually, if you do have very bad PMS and you sort of suspect it's kind of, probably a lot worse than it sort of should be it's worth going speaking to your doctor because there's you know there's questionnaires and things that you can do so it's good to try and actually get a firm diagnosis and get the proper help and actually when looking at pmdd you're looking a little bit more at looking at um the whole uh brain mental health subject of nutrition that links into hormones but shifts over to a different sort of side of things as well looking at things like serotonin etc you know okay yeah again yeah. I, I imagine that is like you said an entirely different podcast and we could dive into that much deeper than we yeah are. that would be a good one for, for next time but um but you know you do see uh pmdd in endo on the mental health side of things i mean it's 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 like think about it so you've got this kind of quite full-on uh disease and you've been on this journey perhaps it's taken a very long time to get to where you got to perhaps you had lots of bumps as you've gone along so very common you know I haven't felt I got the help I needed. Uh, my family don't understand. Uh, I, I, I've lost work because of this, like all these like lifestyle things that sort of come up. And then also that, you know, endo is so nutrient hungry. So you're like chomping through nutrients, which would normally be there to help your mood stay stable, but they're, they're, they're being used up to deal with these lesions and patches, if that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's why in the government survey that they did last year, uh, it was very sad, but also not surprising to see you've got these like 83% type stats on women, um, you know, having mental health issues. And actually when I look at clients uh, list of medications, it's always really like, oh my gosh, you know, when you see like lots of SSRIs prescribed, mm -hmm. um, but also, hey, God, if you're in loads of pain, not gonna feel great. So it's, I often think it's not that they were always gonna end up with mental health issues. It's just a big melting pot. And obviously, you know, got this big like gut brain connection yes if you've got got gut stuff going on you're going to probably have some low mood or depression that type of thing so it's the, again it's the you know in that that relationship you know and that's yeah. cytokines anyway so yeah i was just about to say that because the inflammatory model of uh, depression is probably more so well i was going to say it's kind of um the new the new and kind of up and coming one but it's really more accepted now i think more so than anything i was speaking to kimberly yeah. wilson about this and we were just saying how inflammation does seem to feed um mental health disorders and yeah. you know with endo like you just touched upon you know we can get gut, gut dysregulation and dysbiosis but that can also lead to inflammation as well as well as these patches leading to yeah you know an influx yeah. of hormones that can also lead to inf inflammation at the site but also yeah. systemically so yeah, yeah totally it's, all, it's yeah. all connected yeah so that's why actually you, you want to sort out your gut your gut issues uh, so that actually to, you know, for, well, because of, you know, disease progression and, and just dealing with the whole subject and also just like physically how you feel, but 
but also for the mental health brain side of it. Um, and that also, you know, I feel very strongly in saying that I, 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 you know, I would love to see, in fact, if anyone's listening to this podcast who is working as a therapist um, in mental health, but is actually working in a more specialized area with endometriosis, I would love to have a chat with them because I feel like that is a whole area that needs uh, more people working within it because actually someone who really understands the disease properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually that, you know, when you get a diagnosis that your family understand that your, that your, you know, work kind of understand and that, you know, friends around you get it because a very common misunderstanding is, oh, well, haven't you just got really bad period pain? Can't you just take some Nurofen? like mm, it's a little bit more than that in fact it's a lot more than that so it's just you know and as we were saying earlier in some of the symptoms you know sexual issues going on it can really affect relationships you know i'm not wanting to put a downer on this because there's so much good stuff that you can do but what i'm trying to say in this is actually just communication sharing information being honest with people and also having boundaries so you know i have endo clients in the past where i've said things to them saying look your energy is going to fluctuate way more over the month than say your friend so it's also just saying, do you know what? I would love to come and have dinner with you. This is obviously non-COVID advice. I'd just like to stress <laughs> here. Yeah. Uh, but actually, I've had a really tiring week. I'm about to get my period. I need to have a quiet evening. I'll see you next weekend and we'll go out then. Like, j- just just kind of, and that the friends, like, understand. If you have someone that doesn't understand that, then I'm not sure they're a very good friend. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just you know, more education on, on the whole condition itself. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and yes, I'd absolutely echo that. And I'll put Lorna's details in the show notes for people to contact her. Um, okay. Thanks. Something else which I wanted to, to touch upon, Lorna, is like mm-hmm. the interplay between exercise and endo. And what's interesting with this is that some people say exercise makes them feel better. But mm-hmm. also, like you mentioned before, people with endometriosis can be lethargic like severely lethargic. So how do you overcome this? Yeah. What can we do? yeah. And, and actually also that, that we know that some types of exercise can be stressful, which we don't want. Um, so they can be more, you can got more inflammation going on. So you don't want to be doing those types of things. Um, but also that again, you know, uh, if someone is very tired, as you're saying, and, and has you know energy issues, it's about being selective about exercise. I certainly feel like, exercise is a, is a really important thing. I know that you and I are like a big fan of, of, mm-hmm. of that together, but I think when we're talking about women exercising, it has to be, it has to be worked out around your cycle and you have to also just not give yourself a bad time about it. So, you know, some days you don't feel like doing anything or you can just manage a very gentle walk. I think, I, I think just some movement in itself on the days where you just really finding it hard is, is just good for like fresh air because obviously getting outside and going for a walk in the countryside or nature is good for your microbiome. It's good for your mental health. And then other days you might find that you've got a bit more exercise to go on a long bike ride or, or whatever. So it's about adjusting it. But I think one thing that um, to say that a lot of endo sufferers will comment to me on, particularly those that have adhesions or have had quite a lot of complicated surgery over the years, they'll say that some types of exercise actually is quite uncomfortable for them. Yeah. So it can be quite good working with say like a physio, um, I can't remember if I said earlier or not, but but um, musculoskeletal issues are a whole topic in endometriosis. Okay. And there are lots of physios who specialize in women's health specifically. So they're obviously dealing with things like, you know, postpartum sort of pelvic issues or muscle changes, all sorts of things. And there's, you know, there's experts kind of in that. In fact, you should probably get some, someone on to come and talk to you about it because it's a whole thing. 
Um, and, and I think that, you know, getting advice like that can be helpful. But, you know, I think um, it's about balancing the mental health side of it. I've got some endo ladies where they're like, you know, I have to exercise every so often because it just really just makes me feel like a better person <laughs> for like more me. So it's just about adjusting it, you know, and not, and not, you know, not thinking that you're, that you failed because you haven't done like a two hour spin class or something like that, you know? Right. Okay. So more gentle forms of exercise maybe to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, and energy is really up and down like over a month for most women anyway. So it's about you know times where you have got more energy to do those things and then just making it more sort of gentle gentle walks yoga you know that sort of thing perhaps when you're feeling less less uh, energetic hmm. is yeah. obesity or weight gain an issue in endo yeah i mean it's a controversial topic because if you're lots of pain um which makes it difficult for you to move um remember also that pain um can create uh, sort of dysfunctional eating you know, actually, when you're in a lot of pain, it, you can be thinking, oh, I just feel so horrible. I just want to eat a whole box of chocolates. <laughs> um, so I do talk to I do have lots of conversations with endo patients where they they I mean, you know, there's like I'm not saying eating disorders, but I'm saying there's dysfunctional eating things that can go on there. And, and that women will often say things like I've put in a lot more weight as the disease has kind of got worse and things. So but on my side as a nutritionist we're looking wanting to uh, encourage healthy weight loss because yeah. anything where you've got less fat you've got less estrogen so that's kind of and you've got the whole like aromatase kind of connection as well so again it's like uh working with someone to get some help about what the diet is right for you how you can gently slowly lose weight um in a kind of healthy way but often it's also about helping them reset you know proper portion sizes not overeating that sort of thing you know um i love um i love things like intermittent fasting for example for weight loss okay because i yeah i've spoken about this before and i'm not sure it works particularly well for everyone um especially no, in doesn't. terms of like no. stricter ones like 16 8 or 18 6 etc yeah i was wondering what you yeah. thought because i guess my opinion and it's constantly developing, I guess, is that because of the cyclical nature of women's hormones, like a 16 8 fast might be detrimental, like nearer the time of ovulation. But I would love yeah. to hear what you think. Oh, oh, yeah, I'll just give you a great example. So uh, not right now because we've been locked down, but I absolutely love uh, rock climbing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can definitely know how I would have felt on rock climbing trips uh, when I'm menstruating or not. And I kind of know now like what I need to eat in the daytime. It's been actually quite a few years of like figuring it out because it's a whole like, because that's really a whole category of eating for athletic performance and different types of exercise and what's involved in rock climbing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and figuring it all out. So that's been a really interesting area for me. And I certainly like some, you know, if I know I'm kind of got like just the afternoon left of climbing, it's been quite a long day. If I had my period, I would need to have something quite, quite sweet and quite sugary. And actually, I couldn't then also skip having lunch. So I'm sometimes out with like guys who are climbing who are having like a big breakfast and they'll have a dinner, but they'll skip having lunch because actually their blood sugar and their ability and their energy is much more sort of uh, stable. Whereas because I'm menstruating, I just need a bit more of a sort of pep up or wake up. Uh, so I now kind of like adjust, uh, I, you know, I, you know if, I, if I was on a trip and, you know, depending on the time of the month, I would adjust how much I was eating and certainly I wouldn't be able to be doing intermittent fasting then no way okay that's really interesting to get your perspective yeah. on that and do you find that people yeah. with endo can tolerate it better than others 
totally depends on the person mm -hmm. again if you've got someone coming to you who's very exhausted it's not the first thing i'm going to be, going to be deciding yeah because also by the way it could be that they're tired because the portions are a bit out of balance anyway uh so you're you want you know are you getting enough proteins and fats along with the carbs type thing are you eating like toast all day long or are you eating much better sort of nutritious meals so i actually think like that i generally think with nutrition get people to eat in a kind of normal way <laughs> and then the next thing is to put them on sort of like a, a different sort of diet because otherwise you're not teaching them the basics are you yes no i completely agree with yeah. you there so mediterranean diet lots of colorful vegetables and kind of maintain yeah. sugar balance with like a low glycemic load carbohydrates and things yeah exactly um, and actually just to say on that as well so for some people they won't tolerate beans and legumes um those are also high fodmap and yeah. uh, people sometimes just don't do that well on i mean look you know i'm not a big fan of blood typing diets because i'm just not sure what science is there but i'm o negative which seems to sort of like for me if i have a lot less grains like almost none and very very few legumes i feel so much better and i've been like that my whole life yeah so again it's like listening to people and thinking okay mediterranean diet but they're not going to give them lots of x that's within that diet because that's not right for them if that makes sense mm -hmm. okay yeah. okay yeah. really good to know now we're coming nearer to the end of the podcast but i've got still got a few things i want to touch upon with you yeah sure and one of them when we were talk talking about hormones and in terms of aromatization and things i know some individuals may read something online and then go out and quickly buy a supplement because they think it's going to be beneficial. And one of them, mm -hmm. especially when we talk about aromatase and things, is like indole-3-carbonyl car or yeah. diamond-methane or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, so is this a problem with endo? Maybe just supplements in general? Yeah, I... Doing it? Yeah, so I always caution against using DIM. In fact, I'm really pleased that uh, Bant basically turned around to everyone. So this, this is a nutrition association for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, uh, and said, you can't use DIM. Um, and the reason for this is that unless you've done your done like proper uh, genetic pathways with a client, if you give them DIM and, they, and they've got pathways that are just not like working properly around that whole subject, then you can en end up increasing estrogen uh, rather than metabolizing it properly. Right. So you could do one person like benefit and the other person real harm. So I've actually inherited clients from uh, people who've either been on DIM because they bought it themselves or a practitioner put them on it but didn't understand how to use it and they've come to me with um they will say i feel more estrogenic and i'll say okay that's interesting how do you feel well i'm i've, I've put weight on I, my breast size has gone up um i feel like very sort of water like i'm holding lots of water i've got a bit of a tummy i've got more cellulite like this is like more estrogenic kind of these are all things that make us more female but it kind of goes too far the other way if that makes sense mm -hmm. um Whereas if you're using uh, indole-3-carbonyl, uh, which is much, much, much closer in terms of its uh, structure to cruciferous vegetables, which we haven't mentioned, but cruciferous um, or brassica are really, really important for um, estrogen metabolism. And they're great because they're good for us in other ways. Um, and obviously there's lots of research around that, but also their fiber yes. and their color, et cetera. So like, you know, just eat them. They're great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, so, so for example, um, I'm head of nutrition at a wonderful supplement company called, called Wild Nutrition, and we only make uh, food supplements. And actually we have a special formula for endometriosis called Endocomplex, which is absolutely amazing, which was formulated by our co-founder, Henrietta Norton, who's an endo expert. 
um, very grateful to have been, you know, around her for so many years, kind of, you know, from a real sort of uh, a wise mistress of endo. And, uh, and Henrietta, when she made this product, you know, obviously very cleverly decided only to put, uh, you know, natural endocarbonyl into there. So that's like a gentle way of, of supporting estrogen detox, basically, without ending up with other issues. Okay. Okay. Do you ever see people which are, are taking other supplements? Like you mentioned, actually, let's get onto the to the subject of herbs. Now, I know you're the daughter of a very revered herbalist, and you, you use herbs in your practice. Are the yeah. herbs which you use in particular for endo? I know you mentioned Agnes Cactus before. Agnes Cactus, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah. do you see other people Sorry. misusing them? Yeah, I think. Um, well, a lot of nutritional therapists aren't very confident with using herbs anyway, which is probably a good thing. If you're not confident, probably just don't go there. Um, so I have medical herbalists that I also like refer to. Um, but I think what you're going to be cautious of was one herb I'm going to caution on. Um, and this is no diss to anyone listening who practices Ayurvedic medicine. But Shatavari is estrogen-like. And you do sometimes see it in female hormone balance formulas. And it's a bit like, mm, there should be some real caution there. It's much more helpful. I actually only use Shatavari in women who've got low estrogen um, or they are like full menopause. Right. So okay. you need, yeah. And then there's another misnomer, which is that on the internet, Don Kwai, mm-hmm. uh, Angelica, is, is always uh, like listed as being estrogenic. And it's not. It's for estrogen metabolism. And it's actually a lovely herb because we it, it's tonifying for the uterus gets lots of helps with kind of um for example if your period is really stagnant don Kwai is really great for getting it going actually is that um, a psycho, tr- traditional chinese medicine herb don Kwai? yeah blood, but blood we stagnation? Um, that's yes. what i remember yeah 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 so it's good for getting things kind of like moving and actually agnes castus and don Kwai are quite quite a nice like combination together um, but yeah, it's kind of just being just being careful not to use herbs that are going to be estrogenic. And then I was mentioning, like, I love all the kind of like nervous system herbs like cramp bark and chamomile um, and vervain and uh, passion flower. So anything that's like soothing and calming and, uh, and, you know, people who are like pain experts, you know, which is not I'm not a pain expert, but like pain is a big thing in endo and actually supporting the nervous system and supporting your I guess how am I going to put it the way that you perceive pain is probably the best way of saying it so I think anything anything where you can just calm the calm the body reduce stress so adaptogens are lovely like ashwagandha Siberian ginseng which is lupococcus which is not a true ginseng and those are good also if someone's been uh, is quite tired as well so those are kind of like some of my sort of like favorite herbs and then like classic digestive and detox herbs like artichoke um mm-hmm. and uh things like uh burdock although burdock you must always uh, use it with other herbs as well and then like milk thistle milk thistle is a lovely one because also it's like a great antioxidant and you've got the glutathione um encouragement of production you see with well. milk thistle like the more i read about it the more i'm like should we just take this all the time <laughs> i do yeah because do i you? know that i've got i because i know that i've got detox pathways that just don't just don't work as well so and i find it really actually like i find it really just well and actually helps me with bowel movements as well Mm -hmm. um it really and it helps with like you know digestion and yeah it helps with mood if you talk to chinese practitioners particularly like the liver element i know we're veering off is usually around like anger and like jealousy and stuff so i always think if someone's kind of a bit like that like they're pissed off all the time 
should probably get them in some milk thistle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Yeah. In terms of a dose, right? Because you sp- spoke about these herbs, and I think they probably only should be used primarily by practitioners that know how to use them. Yes. But with milk yeah, thistle and, you, and artichoke, yeah. sorry, carry on. What were you going to say? Well, you can you know herbal medicine traditionally was always usually also about using herbs together because they're like a like a perfume yeah they create a combined uh intention um and so actually traditionally you know how my mum has always worked is that you're putting a formula together um and all those things there are there to sort of help with so like a female balance formula might have like agnes castus and don quai and maybe some milk thistle and maybe some like chamomile like all the things kind of together in the right sort of proportions and ratios as well um, but yes, you can use single herbs, but I do find formulations often sort of more effective. But again, it depends on the, on the, on the situation. Okay. So, all right, that makes perfect sense. And that also makes sense why you said with burdock, you need to combine it with other herbs as well and maybe yeah. not use it by yeah. yourself. But with the, yeah. um, with other ones like artichoke and milk thistle and things like that, those are more readily available and they're used in supplements like at Holland and Barrett and over the counter and things, yeah. things of that nature. Yeah. In terms yeah. of a dosage, I guess that would be an interesting one because milk thistle has the active ingredient and I, I'm going to butcher the, the name. It's like silymarin, silymarin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Although like it depends uh, whether you, okay. So you've got. Have I opened uh, a can of worms here? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, it's <laughs> fine. It depends whether you're going to be using like the whole herb or whether you've got something which is a more of a standardized extract. So then potentially like a, a one compound from the plant is maybe like slightly higher dose. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you do want to have ones like that. Like that's that's a good example where you do want you know more silymarin, but also being aware that the other components in the plant are going to be supportive too. I'll give you an example. So you've got um, St John's Wort. So some like pharmaceutical companies will make a St John's Wort, like a licensed product, which is just the kind of like one single kind of compound in that, and actually sometimes it's not very well tolerated by people because mm. if you think about pl- plants are so clever aren't they not us humans yeah we like to mess with things so the plant itself has kind of balanced itself out so sometimes then if i tried somebody on more like whole herbs and john's wort they're fine right so it depends on the like situation certainly you know there's lots of you know controversy around um around you know turmeric i should have mentioned actually turmeric is a fantastic herb women's health and endo because it's very anti-inflammatory it's good for the gut um, but actually, I dislike using high doses of curcumin uh, or curcuminoids because actually there were um, some issues in Italy with quite serious liver issues. And actually in Ireland, they don't let you sell high percentage curcumin and curcuminoids. So at World Nutrition, we have a wonderfully uh, full spectrum kind of balanced turmeric, which is much better than if you just got turmeric powder from the kitchen, which right. wouldn't be therapeutic enough. So when clients say, oh, but I have a teaspoon of turmeric every day. I'm like, well, that's great. Carry on doing that, but actually supplementing it um, with something where where it's balanced out. So you've got a, a wild one is balanced because you've got the turmerones, the uh, turmeric essential oils and the po- po- polysaccharides. And actually there's research about how the turmerones and polysaccharides um, uh, are good for you too, like in their own right. It's not just all about curcumins and curcuminoids, but also curcumin and curcuminoids are very like lazy. They need a fat to transport them like a taxi mm-hmm. so that's why some brands will put in uh, a sort of oil or they might put you know that, that sort of thing in or recommend that you have it with like eating it with a fat like avocados or whatever 
and um, with ours, because you've got a high percentage of the uh, of the turmeric, the essential oil part, that oiliness is there to support uh, the transportation and uptake of the curcumin or the curminoids. So it's clever, isn't it? That is clever. Does that mean you don't need to use piperine, for example? To you don't no, okay. you don't. So in we don't have to put any of that in, and actually that's quite unusual because I don't think people even really like understand enough about um about the other components of the turmeric that are really good and again nature's so clever <laughs> it's it's put something in there to help with another part of it it's a good thing awesome well i'm glad we covered that does endo normally affect the younger population in terms of the 20s and 30s um i think there's a lot of discussion around that time so because as i was saying a lot of the reasons sometimes women find out that they have endometriosis is because they're thinking about um conceiving uh, you know, certainly women who maybe had quite bad periods in their 20s, probably as the years go on, are looking more into like reading stuff and listening to podcasts and all sorts of things. So there's a lot of flurrying conversation around it. Once women have, some women have gone through a pregnancy and come out the other side of that, endo can kind of feel like it's retreated. So many women will also say, uh, well, I had laparoscopy. Uh, I then went on to have, a, uh, sorry, get pregnant. Then I had the baby. Then I breastfed. Now my daughter's like five and I still feel fine. And the years kind of go on, all fine, all fine, all fine. And then you can get to perimenopause time. So you're getting maybe like mid forties. And because the body is going in that direction of, of sort of like this journey of, of ending the whole fertility kind of story, um, you can get fluctuations of hormones and you can get big fluctuations of estrogen. And then uh, the endo can start to feel like it's kind of coming back as well. So that's and also that's also a time where I see brand new diagnoses as well. So like like much later in those years. So it's certainly not a thing of just women who are sort of twenties and thirties. It's something to also consider in your forties as well. Yeah. Okay, that's really really good to know. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Do you think it's more prevalent in the younger generation, and then it kind of rears its head later down the line? Because I'm guessing there's people with endo which it might just kind of like you like you said with the person with the gastrointestinal scars where it yes. might over time become less prevalent uh yes so with her you know it had clearly been sort of going on in the background but wasn't really causing her enough issue to sort of like and also she'd had three children mm-hmm. so i think yes. probably what happened with that it had just i think it possibly i mean uh, be careful how i say this but saying the word remission but something had happened to mean that she didn't, it wasn't a bother for her. So all you're seeing later is just, it's like going back to a forest that had a big forest fire some time ago, but it's just the charred trees. You know, that's the only, that's the only evidence you have now of, of, of that fire. So it's, yeah, and that's why I was saying, obviously, historically, women who would have gone on to have lots of babies one after the other, and you've got all those years going on, you know, even if they had a bit of endo, was it going to get worse? Probably not because there's so many pregnancies and breast and, and sort of periods of breastfeeding. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on, Lorna, but I can't let you go without answering the three questions which I ask everyone that comes on the show. With the first being, what is the biggest health change that you have made in your life and why? Um, so I, in my 20s, I was such a night owl um and uh, i'm 38 now and i think what i've done over the last many many years is is that that whole body clock thing is so important um and that a body clock that is much more suited to the cycles of nature um and actually uh well 
there's been lots of downsides of being in lockdown but one of the upsides that I've loved is that I get up really early in the morning most mornings and I just go outside we're obviously not in the deepest winter part but if we've got early morning light going out for a walk with the dog um, in the countryside and for me the relevance of that is getting a lot of uh, light into my eyes in the morning for, for setting my body clock up for the day mm-hmm. and I know this is going to support me better with like blood sugar and energy and the immune system and hormones and all of those things I just love being out in nature I mean I really just love trees and plants um and I love the sort of simplicity of it like just 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 taking the dog out I sometimes I listen to a podcast but actually I quite like the idea that you're really present mm-hmm. um and presence for me is is something that we all need more of um so it's actually a little bit like sorry if it sounds cheesy but I find it a bit like a meditation it's it's really that thing of like look at how beautiful the flowers are look at the trees feel the sort of you know the 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 leaves moving the dog is looking at little things and she's found something like I know that sounds super cheesy but that is such an important mental health thing for me and if there's mornings where I can't do it for some reason like something happens or I had a late night for some reason the night before and I can't get up as early I do actually feel it you know so getting out of nature getting fresh air I also feel like if you're not in a great mood and you're kind of annoyed about something it somehow lets me sort of let it go much better um so that for me is really life-changing and then also cold exposure which is my favorite thing at the moment so I always have done hot and cold showers over the years but I in lockdown I got much more into uh the science of cold exposure for inflammation um and so doing exercise and then basically jumping in a bucket of cold water in the garden and when it was snowing and it was more wintry, there was ice in it that I had to break. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to see me doing this with the snow, then please have a look at my Instagram. Uh, I've got actual footage on there of me rolling in the snow. Um, and I get such an endorphin hit from it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a massive like wild swimming obsessed person, but I tend to do that obviously like spring and summer. Um, so big up to all the wild swimmers listening to this. So, yeah, I mean, water in itself is very healing because also if you're thinking about having a warm bath. Um, so just really like the, the I would say some of that all up, the power of nature and fresh air and movement and uh, and using water as a therapy. Yeah. And using cold exposure as a therapy. That's awesome and sounds great. With, with regards to the kind of getting out in nature, like I, I used to go on long jogs and that was kind of my kind of meditation right I used to not listen yeah. to a podcast or anything like that and just be in my own yeah. mind yeah um, yeah yeah I find it so therapeutic and with cold exposure yeah. as well that's so interesting that you said that because it can seem to help with blood regulation throughout the entire day yeah really sure the mechani- mechanism why maybe it translocates glute four or something but yeah um, yeah 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 I mean actually yeah you should you, you, sh- you should probably get someone on for a podcast for that because I'm sure listeners are thinking oh wow that's a whole that's the whole you know Pandora's box isn't it it's an awesome area yeah and if you if you um uh looking at the science on the brown fat so like mitochondrial support energy uh so basically for listeners uh when they've done studies on people who have cold exposure like these are studies done in like places like Finland for example those participants have as adults have more brown fat because normally with with us as humans we have quite a bit of brown fat as a baby and then it, it decreases as you as you get older um, and the brown fat's the good stuff, by the way. Yeah, metabol- metabolically active, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, Rather than the yeah, white fat, yeah. which just sits around, does nothing. It's a big dream. Yeah. 
So I, so anyone for listening, if you, I had loads of people write to me actually when I was doing the cold exposure kind of Instagram posts and videos and um, lovely people telling me great stories about, you know, uh, going like sea swimming and, and actually to be honest, like out of lockdown, this stuff is so fun. You go with like five of your friends and it's really cold and you're all swearing, but you will be laughing your heads off you know like really laughing your heads off and you come out and you're like wow I feel really like pleased with myself and it kind of this buzz that stays throughout the whole day you know that's better than any cup of cup, cup of coffee I'm, I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> I entirely agree yeah yeah <laughs> so on to the second question can you please um oh can you tell the listeners how healthcare can become more integrated with the kind of modalities that we touched upon today yeah, I mean, as I was saying earlier, um, it's so fantastic um, that lots of uh, doctors are becoming way more aware of endo and there are lots of obviously specialists. And I think that if you're listening, you're not really getting where you need to um, with the kind of conventional side of things. Please don't give up because it can be the case of, of needing to find um, a, a you know practitioner who's more specialised like that. So I'll give you an example. You've got gynaecologists that are doing general gynaecology. And then you've got gynecologists who've gone off and specialise in endometriosis. And I almost find them more receptive and, and sort of easier to deal with. And also just the you know, surgical skills are very different. So it's worth like doing your research, for example. Um, it's about, you know, working with physios. It's about working in nutrition. Um, it's about, you know, looking at the mental health aspect of it. Um, it's about functional testing. So it's about looking at things like, you know, stool analysis or looking at genetics. Um, and sort of bringing everything in together as well and I would actually caution anyone where it can be very tempting if you've got endo to go out and suddenly spend a lot of money on tons of supplements and it's actually better if you get some proper advice and diet advice that's very specific to you because again you can end up you know thinking that you're like a rattling pill and that becomes a stress thing in itself sort of anyway. And the final question is can you please provide the listeners with three quick tips to help improve their health and well-being from today but before you answer it can you tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up yeah so um you can visit my website uh which i think ben will put um in the in in the footnotes when he kind of I uploads certainly this will. yes and my email on there as well i'm actually on clinic sabbatical at the moment um but i can recommend other good practitioners that i that i'm referring to who work with endometriosis i would definitely say actually that um there's a bit of a like separation I would say between practitioners who practice women's health um and they sort of they said that they will work with endo but I do start to really feel like it's such a specialist area you need someone who's focusing on it quite a bit um or at least that they've got experience also if you've got other autoimmune conditions for example they understand how to deal with that like say if you've got Hashimoto's thyroiditis or you've got lupus or whatever that then there's like there's that you know those those sorts of crossovers um, and certainly I would say working with a nutritional therapist who's just very general is not the right thing at all. Uh, so again, it's about sort of doing your research. But at, at Wild, Wild, we do have short mini consultations and we have like a free advice service where you can speak to any of my wonderful team um, who are all, you know, chosen by me and everyone is really good at, at endo and, and obviously related symptoms. Um, yeah, and I do lots of uh, lecturing and speaking, I'm pretty obsessed with endometriosis. So you can always catch me on various places. If I'm on the other podcasts, I put them on my website. Um, I'm actually doing a lecture next week on endometriosis that I think will probably get repeated throughout the year. That's with uh, um, CNM College. Uh, so yeah, I'm kind of easy to find. Uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's at 
Lorna Driver Davis, but I'm sure that Ben will tag me anyway. 100%. Oh, Ben, um, should I mention the textbook? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So last year, Ben, as you know, I contributed a um, peer-reviewed evidence-based uh, case chapter on endometriosis and hormone balance and uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And this was an amazing opportunity to be part of a functional medicine textbook. Um, so different chapters on different areas of health, like uh, the gut and the brain. So Miguel obviously has a has a, a case chapter in that book, mm -hmm. and this is a this was just like an amazing way to sort of really show how uh, there's so much that you can do with endo and diet and get some kind of great outcomes. So it's a really good resource if you're a nutrition student or if you're fully qualified, or if you're a doctor or nurse you want to understand more about how nutrition plays a role in this subject. Yeah, and that's available on Amazon. Uh, and the full book title, if you're looking for it, is Case Studies in Personalised Nutrition. Um, and the editor of that book is Angela Walker, who's lovely. Yeah, who's also been on the podcast. Yeah, lovely Angela. Yeah, <laughs> big up to Angela. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Um, Lorna, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, as always. Oh, thank um, you. I've really enjoyed the podcast. I hope it's been informative to everyone listening. And I do hope that we can do this again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. Such a pleasure. And I just wanted to say for anyone out there who's experiencing endometriosis or listening to this because you have endo yourself, um, you know, sending you so much love and goodness. And there's so much, there's so much positive things you can do to make changes that will help. So stay strong. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or our website, and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support. <laughs>